0: Hello, and welcome to Let's Talk, a new series of candid conversations covering the issues facing freelance professionals today. I'm Tom Rizzo, your host, Managing Director and Founder of Plectrum Advisors, an investment advisory firm based in Los Angeles. On each episode of Let's Talk, I'll be speaking with some of the most plugged-in experts to help you and me make sense of today's changing environment and to help you be smarter about how to approach work and life. So let's get started. Today's guest on Let's Talk is Jim Frawley, creator of Bellwether Hub and a well-known and well-connected modern thinker about all things. Jim works primarily as an executive coach these days helping leaders of all kinds of organizations manage change. And he also helps them find answers to the really tough questions, like, what am I doing right? And how can I discover what's truly best for me and my business? Every conversation I have with Jim is enlightening. And I hope you'll find what he has to say as interesting and relevant as I do. So let's get started. Welcome, Jim. And thanks so much for being here today.
1: Thank you. I'm thrilled to be here. You know, this is exciting. I'm happy to be here.
0: Well, we I, I really enjoyed uh, several months ago when you interviewed me, and I enjoyed uh, learning a little bit about uh, your background. But uh, I'll have to admit, I, I think I'm as in the dark as uh, many of our uh, listeners are in terms of exactly what you are and what you do and how you accomplish that. Do you want to just start by uh, telling a little bit about that?
1: Sure. Um, and, and the podcast we did was probably... Uh, and don't tell the other guests, but it was probably the best podcast we ever did. So I'll give you credit for that. Well, it's fantastic. Um, and uh, yeah, so I run an organization called Bellwether. And it, uh, in a nutshell, we help people adapt to change and manage change. And uh, we do that through a number of different ways, whether for the enterprise your organization or just down to the individual level. Um, we can redesign your organization or we can help you with executive coaching. And we do it through things like executive coaching one-on-one. We do it through things like the podcast where we can educate people. We have online courses. And uh, as we take a look at how quickly change is happening in the world, finding your place in the new economy is a little difficult. So that's that's just where we focus on from from a change management perspective. Finding yourself dealing with macro change requires a focus on micro you as kind of the, uh, the nice little tagline that we sometimes use um, to get people going. Um, when you say macro change and micro you, I-
0: explain a little bit about uh, what you mean by that.
1: Yeah, so as we take a look at society, the world, the workplace, everything, um, it's changing faster than we can adapt. So uh, I have a book coming out in January called Adapting in Motion. And I think that, that phrase, adapting in motion, is almost the new mantra on how we need to manage things going forward. Finding our place in the new economy, managing changes, we are constantly evolving. And since it's happening so quickly, we have to learn to adapt while we're adapting. And the only way to do that is to really focus on an inner dialogue with yourself to find uh, the best possible way to find what you need in the moment, to be able to make effective decisions in the moment, and to be able to pivot yourself in the moment to react to whatever it is that's coming way.
0: So um, adapting to change, and you, you also talked about pivoting. Um, I know that uh, many of my colleagues in the entertainment business here in Los Angeles, whether they're musicians, composers, conductors, actors, comedians, uh, directors, writers, and that kind of thing, um, boy pivot is, is the word that's on everybody's minds as the business ground to a halt uh in march and is attempting to restart itself but nobody knows what form it's going to come back and nobody knows whether their previous roles are going to be there for them or um uh, i think what's on a lot of people's minds is uh how's this going to work for me uh can you speak a little bit about um you know what when people come to you with that particular question I'm sure you've got lots to say.
1: Oh, I've got plenty to say. Uh, (laughs) uh, Before I started Bellwether, I was was doing public relations and investor relations in the financial industry during the financial crisis. So it's very similar now. I see a lot of parallels to what was happening back then, because there's a lot of uncertainty. There's a lot of uh, ambiguity about what's going to happen and what it's going to look like. And so we want to make decisions based on what we think things are going to be like. The problem is we don't know what it's going to be like. So how do you make a decision based on not knowing what, what type of change is going to happen? So there are, there are two things that I would drive home on that, that I typically drive home for, for my clients is one, make your decision. doesn't matter what decision you make. Generally, whatever decision you make, you can unwind it if it's the wrong decision. You're never going to be making such a big decision that you can't take a step back and then pivot and go back and do something different. So step number one. Rather than have that paralysis of I don't know which to take by not making a decision, you're being left behind. So just make some kind of decision. That's one. But two, as you're making the decision to help make that decision is something called uh, and there are there are books and theories on this is called something called question thinking. And it's uh, since nobody really knows how anything works, we just have the assumptions based on our previous experiences. We have to learn how to ask really good questions. And those questions are questions for other people who might have more expertise, but they're also questions for ourselves. And how are we asking ourselves the questions that we need to ask so that we can make those really effective decisions in the moment and then change those decisions and being really curious about what we need in those particular moments.
0: That's that's really interesting. You know, I, I, I find in, uh, in the professional world out here in los angeles professional entertainment world um we are um most of the people that i know have trained almost their entire lives since childhood to be able to do one very specific thing incredibly well and have worked and sweated and shed tears and um it uh, gone through an enormous amount in order to become um, extreme experts for for lack of a better word and I think for these people especially when there is a change that happens to the business like the pandemic um, uh, brought to us um, it is very difficult for those people to reimagine themselves to say, uh, for lack of a better way of putting it, is what other things about myself do I have to offer other than what I've spent my entire life spending 40,000 hours honing? How do I look outside of this? Because I never have. I have always looked strictly inside of this. Can you speak to that a little bit?
1: Yeah, it's, um, that's tough. Right? It's one of those things where you're so committed on one particular thing that when a wrench goes into the way it's been operating, uh, it's difficult to to extricate yourself from that. And so I'll say a couple of things. One is there is the act of doing what you're doing. So you will never not be an expert in what you're doing, which is fantastic. Now, how it manifests is something different. And so when I talk to small business owners, let's say a financial advisor or a real estate agent or anybody, You know, if you're a financial advisor and there's a robot who could make better financial decisions to you, you're still an expert financial advisor. But how you execute on that is somehow different. And so it's not necessarily of what you do. Take it a step further. And what value do you bring? And it's a a, one of the important things about question thinking is recognizing the value that you bring. It's not just playing an instrument. You're bringing joy. You're bringing experience. You're bringing, I, I mean, when I think of music. Music is one of those just core emotional things that everybody responds to, and you're doing more than just playing an instrument. And so, how do you expand what it is that you're capable of, and then recognize what you're what you're really doing is more than just pressing buttons on an instrument. You're you're bringing someone along on a journey, and you've learned this, and and your ability to learn an instrument, your ability to to focus on um, creating, is something that's uh, uh, Many people would pay big dollars to have that ability to create something. And one of the things that I've always been uh, an admirer of to the, to the music industry and the writing industry and um, the acting industry, the stand-up comedy industry especially, is how these people have this ability to put themselves out there. Uh, that is major risk to be able to put yourself out there for criticism. And you do that in such a way that you're unbearing your soul that most people aren't able to do that. And that's a skill set that most people don't have. So recognize the real skills that you've got from doing what it is that you were doing and how you can potentially pivot that into, into something different.
0: And that's, uh, that's really good advice. Uh, e- easier said than done, but- uh, much, we,
1: It's always easier said than done. I'm an expert sitting in you know, my office. Uh, much easier said than done. Uh, but that comes from, from communicating with people and talking to people and, and seeing what other people see about you. They don't just see a person playing an instrument. They see someone creating something and, and doing something more than just just that instrument.
0: Yeah, t- tell, me, tell me about, uh, you were involved in the corporate world for uh, some period of time, I understand. I, I don't know a lot about that. And now you're not. Uh, So you must have made some pivot, whether maybe you weren't forced to do that because of a pandemic, but you did make a pivot. Uh, Do you want to talk a little bit about your internal processes and how you came to do that and why?
1: Yeah, it's uh, my career has been a roller coaster. It's been tons of fun. It started in radio. Um, I had a syndicated radio show, which I loved. It was the best job I ever had. Um, But I didn't really have the guts to fully commit to it. And so uh, I, I cheaped out and went corporate and started monitoring telemarketing calls and doing you know just brainless kind of work. Um, and then I ended up getting pretty successful through my work. I ended up becoming a corporate trainer and traveling around the world and and teaching people on products. And I got into the financial industry for for fifteen years, doing public relations and and teaching executives how to communicate and uh, chief of staff role and business management, doing all of these things. But it never. Jasmine. It was never for me and it was never anything that I wanted to do. So um, my frustration eventually boiled up. Then I went to an executive coach to figure out what I wanted to do. And I put together all of these business plans that none of them really fit what exactly it is I wanted to do. And then I heard about the executive coaching program at Columbia and that was all she wrote. Jumped in five years ago and I'll never look back ever.
0: (laughs) Nice. Nice. Uh, I, I, uh, uh, I have a, uh, a, a feeling that there are uh, inside of most people's minds as they react to um, the upheaval that happened with the pandemic, that there are two parallel tracks going on in their mind. One is fear-based, which is, oh my God, my whole um, way of doing things has been uh, upended here. And it's unknown whether it's ever going to return. And, oh, my God, what's going to happen? There's that track. And then there's the probably less um, uh, lower volume voice in there that says, is this an opportunity to be able to look at something else? And I, uh, I, the few people I've talked to about this uh, are uh, almost afraid to give light to that voice for fear that they're going to have to um, take a look at, well, what does that mean? What else do I have to offer or what other ways? Uh, do, you want to, do you want to talk about that a little bit, those, that mental
1: process? Yeah, it's difficult. It's, uh, um, the fear of the unknown is a big thing. Um... You know, how do I pay the bills? How do I get things finished? How do I, you know, where do I find clients? You know, any kind of change is this job, maybe not even starting a business, but taking a new job is how do I, um, am I going to be successful? And we, we question our capabilities. We question our ability. We question um, uh, if it's the right decision or the wrong decision and what is it going to look like? We have all of these unknowns that we're never going to get the answer to unless we actually take a step towards it. But then there is that light of opportunity and what's possible. And I do feel like um, we hide behind the fear question. We hide behind the fear question quite a bit. And I, I always use the fear question. That I never had the guts to, to do uh, what I'm doing now. I never had the guts to really pursue my radio career the way that I wanted to pursue my radio career. I never had the guts to articulate what career path I actually wanted and say, give me license, give myself license to say that I wanted to do this and I'm comfortable to say that this is something that I want to go after. Because it's not so much the fear of the unknown. It's not so much the fear of failure. It's the fear of humiliation if you don't get it. And that's what we're really afraid of. Now, the opportunity part of it is, yeah, if you can articulate this whole dream life that you're going to get, Uh, what does that actually look like? And what's a realistic view of that? And what are you willing to give up to get to it? You know, a lot of people think that they're a hard worker and they do a lot of things, and that may be true. But in order to get to a certain level, uh, what got you here won't get you there, is a common saying. So you have to give up something. Uh Uh-oh, you froze for a second here, Jim. Sacrifice of family time. Is it a sacrifice of friends? Is it a sacrifice of... Uh, external, whatever, sacrifice of money, whatever it might be, you have to sacrifice something if you're going to get to that next opportunity level.
0: Yeah, it's um, uh, almost uh, ev- everything here that we're talking about really takes place on an internal level in terms of you're kind of talking to yourself. You got two people inside of you that you're talking to yourself about, um, okay, I know I am afraid of of even just opening my mind up to think about how else can I apply not only the specific skills that I have always relied on, but what other ways can I apply those skills? Um, Even if it's staying within the same industry and the same um, uh, way of doing things, but is there, is there another way to apply those skills? And uh, I, I had an interesting conversation with a colleague, uh, I think this happened, this was before the pandemic. I think it was last December. And uh, I mean, without revealing anything about the colleague or the situation, we were talking about work and working and uh, levels of success and, and what it takes to get there, especially in the freelance world and that kind of thing. And he shared something with me. He said, you know, a couple of years ago, I realized I had become really, really good at something I didn't like doing and he said the, the the internal process of like okay now what the hell does that mean for me I'm I'm recognized I'm called on a regular basis there is money I am good at it but I don't want to let anybody outside of my brain know that I don't like doing this so uh, I have a feeling there are more than a few people in this boat in, in the world in general. Uh, it's not just, not just confined to here. Um, you want to speak a little bit about uh, that uh, situation and how do you navigate that?
1: Yeah. It's, um, you said it before, it's a full dialogue inside your head. It's two people inside your head. and. You know, I like to run. I like to have these full dialogues in my head, almost like you're being interviewed by, you know, Jay Leno or someone on The Night Show. Ask yourself these questions of why you're doing what you're doing. And the challenge with it is twofold. One, uh, we love routine and shortcuts. We love the easy way. And that's what our brain is designed to do, is to just do easy things, right? And, and as we get into a routine, we start to do things that we may not necessarily enjoy, but we have the routine down, it's easy, and we can do it, and that's great, but we don't enjoy it. So scratching that record that's just going around and around is is a challenge. When we talk about the fear of the unknown and the fear of changing your opportunity is because in that dialogue in your head, the person asking the questions and answering the questions knows all of your secrets that nobody else knows. So when you think about conversations with other people, with clients, with other musicians, with anybody. When you think about all those people, they don't know all the things going inside your heads, your your secret fears, the uh, things you always wanted to do but didn't, your, your individual failures, the things you were going to try but were afraid of failing so you didn't do it. All of those things are creating filters over your dialogue. And so it's difficult to have that question to break out of that cycle and you have to ask yourself the question, what filter did I put on this that's impacting it? And, and that's one of those basic, fundamental, overarching questions of saying, what do I need in this moment? So when you think about um, I'm doing something that I don't like doing, one of my favorite questions to ask clients, especially business owners, is what do you hate to do and how can you get rid of it? And because we all start businesses or start doing things because we like something about it. And then all of a sudden, other things creep in and take it over and then say, how do you switch it and either hire someone to do it? Or outsource it or do whatever it is you have to do and get back to the reason why you started whatever it is you're doing. Yeah. I think that's, uh, you know, that that there's
0: a really strong element of that with uh, performers, that they begin at a a young age doing it for one reason. And there is a connection to something that doesn't have anything to do with money or success or recognition or uh, sustainability. Um, It's just, there is a connection to, there's an aspect of whether it's playing this instrument or engaging in a play in high school or grammar school or writing something that is satisfying. Um, There is an element of, of, of genuine attraction to, I really like doing this. And as you then progress into the professional world, there's a whole bunch of other elements that come into play that... Um, not that they take over, but that they become almost more important than what it is that you like to do. And everybody who decides to stay in the business makes the Faustian bargain to say, I'm okay with that because the thing that I like to do is at the core of this thing. So, and I'm going to keep pursuing that. But as you mentioned, layer after layer after layer after layer begins to cloud that initial um, uh, attraction that you had to this and it's sometimes it's a little bit difficult to say or to to engage in that dialogue with yourself to say is this still serving me regardless of, of how much success that you have do you do you see this in other businesses besides the entertainment business
1: Yeah, it's, um, you know, when when I think about work engagement, as people get engaged with work, uh, a lot of, you know, organizations all want to tap into it. All the businesses want to tap into it. And everyone's looking for this kind of, I want the job that is my ultimate dream job, whatever. Um, And it's always filled with, you have to find the activity that you're doing that absorbs you. And when I say absorb is, you know, what can you do where you just completely lose track of time? And when you lose track of time, then you know that you're on the right step, you're on the right path. Now, there's always some other, you know, there's an annoying person in accounting who's ruining your day. There's uh, a business manager who's ruining your music. There's, you know, all these other noises. But when you can focus on what absorbs you, if you are able to find that time, doesn't have to be all the time, but if you could find that time, then you're, you're going to be okay. If it overwhelms so much that so you're not able to get absorbed in your work, in the right type of work, then we say, all right, maybe this absorption has to come over to the side and I have to do something different. Uh, but we see it all the time. It's many people sell out. Uh, it's why they're frustrated. They sell out for money and they do a job that they can't stand and they work all these crazy hours. Um, and what they're really looking for is some type of work that will absorb them. And, and bring them back to whatever it is that they, they get true meaning out of.
0: It's easy to lose sight of that goal, uh, uh, strangely, I think. Yeah, especially um,
1: as you have, you have bills to pay, you've got kids who need to go to school, you've got, I mean, it, it sounds so simple, um, but we, we have to break things apart. It doesn't, not everything is in just one big package. Um, can we break it down to say, yes, I can take this job that uh, pays a certain amount of money but I recognize I'm sacrificing some of my absorption, but I'm still able to get a little bit on the weekends. Or uh, what am I sacrificing in order to get this? You know, the benefit of having my daughter go to this school is better than um, taking this job that doesn't pay enough. You know, am I willing to make that sacrifice? And those are the, the difficult conversations we have to have. Yeah. Uh,
0: I, I, once, uh, I once was helping a guy who was a uh, uh, motivational speaker. I think he's, uh, he was a Blue Angels pilot, actually. Um, really good guy, and uh, he had a, a nice uh, sentence that he used in his talk where he said if you if you want to to get better at something like increase your performance, you have to raise your expectation first, and then performance will follow and uh, can you Can you talk a, a little bit about that um, psychological framework that you need to put on yourself? um that is really the key to uh, or, or how that can really be the key to being better or doing something different
1: yeah you have to um i love asking people why not you know why can't you do something why is that not you know why can't you be a new york times bestseller why can't you be in the new york philharmonic why can't you be and everyone will always give a reason but when you raise the expectations of this is what you know this is what I expect. This is where I'm going to go. Then obviously you, you, you're not putting a lid on it. If you think that you're, you know, if you, I'll use a running analogy again. If, If you want to run a 5k and you're doing it, I find sometimes a 5k is harder to run than a 10k because always the last half mile is extremely difficult no matter what your distance is. I can run a 10K, I can run a marathon, it doesn't matter, the last half mile, you know the end is there, you just, I'm ready to be finished. So when I kick off for a marathon run, I'm good until 25 and a half miles. If I go for a 5K, I'm good for 2.7 miles and then it's just slogging through the end. So when we raise the expectations, we know that our mindset shifts that we have a much further journey to go and we put a different filter on, we're making different decisions not just a short-term decision in, you know, oh, I just have to go this far, but is getting this far going to help me in my bigger path and my bigger picture down the road? But I'll challenge it too to say that we have to raise our expectations in some areas for success, expectations in others, because sometimes we could burn ourselves out. And so that's where the dialogue comes into of saying, yes, I expect to be at the very top of my game. I can't do all this other stuff, so let me be smart about shedding the other things, because I can't do everything, and so having being smart about the expectations that you're raising uh, is going to be extremely helpful in order to get to that marathon finish line.
0: Yeah, I find uh, it, that's that's really uh, it's really well said. I I find uh, that there is in uh, in our environment in Los Angeles uh, it is ex- extremely competitive, and it's not only competitive. Uh, f- in the basic sense of that word, which is um, who gets what job, but it's competitive in terms of who's performing, doing their job as good or better than me, and how can I, um, uh, how does the concept of competition for myself motivate me to do something? And that can go in either a positive or a different direction. The positive end of it, it can go to um, making you fire on all cylinders for a longer period of time than you normally would. The negative aspect is it might make you reach for something that you're really not interested in, but that you feel someone else is doing that better, so I better do that better. You want to talk a little bit about that psychological um, concept?
1: Yeah. Your journey is your journey. Um, and I get the competition thing. I'm one of the most competitive people out there. It's probably unhealthy. Um, I'll guarantee it's unhealthy. Even my wife and I compete on everything. It's ridiculous. Um, but one of I, I heard one quote that I'll share and I'll probably share another running analogy because that's just on my mind today. But, um, I heard a quote once that changed my entire perspective on it, especially when I was going after something, you know, we compete and we hate rejection. Um, But the greatest quote I ever heard was you can have the greatest peach tree in Georgia, but some people aren't interested in a peach. And that's good to remember. So no matter how you're competing, just because you didn't get picked doesn't mean that you weren't good enough. And your journey is going to be different than somebody else. So somebody may just be interested in apples that day has nothing to do with you. And so we have to remember in our competition against other people is that what's relevant for me is relevant for me and nobody else. And when so the running analogy is what I learned when I first started running was how to run up a hill and running up a hill. Nobody likes to do it. But the way to run up a hill is to not look at the hill. That was the best advice I ever got. Do not look up. Do not look at anybody else. You look at your feet, because when you're looking at the hill, your mind's telling you you're not going to make it. Stop doing it. You're hurting yourself. Stop going. If You look at the people next to you. You're worried about who's going faster than you, who's going slower than you. You're not focused on getting up the hill. You're focused on someone completely different but if you focus on your feet, one step in front of the other, you don't see the grade of the hill and you don't see anybody else, you'll know when you get to the top of the hill because the grade changes, things get easier and you're gonna be making more progress. So you focus on the one thing you can do, which is competing against yourself to get that one foot in front of the other.
0: That's, that's really great advice. Uh, in in your, the notes that you sent me here, you used a, a word that I'd like you to talk about a little bit. You said uh, self-efficacy and understanding what
1: uh, what that is. You want to speak about that a little bit? Self-efficacy is the future of, uh, it's the next business buzzword. I'll call it right now. It's the next business buzzword. So self-efficacy is uh, confidence in understanding the steps to get, that you're capable of executing on the steps to get to a finish line. So when I say to you, um, can you do an Ironman? Right away, you just say, yes, absolutely. A self-efficacious person will say, yes, absolutely. And in their mind, they know the steps that they're able to break down to be able to finish an Ironman. And they understand that they're able to execute on each of those. So it's not self-confidence, but it, it is a little bit of self-confidence. It's not self-discipline, but it's a little bit of self-discipline. It's, not, it's all of these little individual areas of I understand what it's going to take to get to some other point. And I understand that I'm going to be able to execute on those individual steps to get to where I'm going.
0: And what's the uh, uh, concept of macro change versus
1: the micro you? Macro change. Well, as we think about, so self efficacy to macro change is, you know, let's take a look at, I don't know the change coming. I don't know where this world's going to be in five years. Who knows where the world's going to be in five years? Can't predict it. But I do know the steps I can take to be able to make good decisions in the moment. And so when we take self-efficacy from macro change to focusing on me, how do I make the right changes in my particular moment? How do I make the right change or right decisions to make sure that I'm in a position to be successful? Um, that's focused on you. In the book um, uh, Moneyball, uh, the, it was also a movie with uh, Brad Pitt. It was talking about Billy Bean from the A's. The A's uh, in baseball we're trying to compete against the Yankees. But the problem was all their players would get good and then the Yankees would buy them and they didn't have the budget. So what they did was they said, stop buying these big home run hitters and let's focus on getting people who can be on base because what they wanted to do was change circumstance. And when we focus on micro U, we want to change circumstance. If I get up to bat and hit a single, I get to first base. But if I get up to bat and hit a single and there's a person on third base already, we scored a run. It's the same hit, but very different results. So how can you focus on you to be able to set yourself up for success, whatever the changes that comes, so that when you just get that little hit, you already have a person sitting on third base ready to come home. And how can you uh, adjust your circumstance to be successful as change continues to come?
0: That's one of my favorite books. Um, I've, read it, I've read it a couple of times. It's, yeah. uh, uh, I think the guy's name was Bill James, right? That, that did the uh, uh, statistical analysis that this was uh, the A's uh, um, philosophy was based on.
1: Yeah, and he worked in like a parking lot or something yeah. like overnight. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: And yeah. It, it kind of occurred to him that the statistics weren't um, leading to the truth. That right. uh, um, when, you, when you had a guy, um, if you were measuring whether a guy um, got a hit into left field versus whether he hit a pop fly into left field. Um, Some of that had to do with where the left fielder happened to be standing at the moment that he hit the ball. So you can't necessarily say those statistics are accurate that the one guy got out and the one guy got a hit um, depending on where the guy was standing. So we had to really dive into these statistics. Uh, Yeah, it's, it's, it's a great book.
1: It's interesting, yeah, yeah. Um, how do you
0: counsel people or talk to people about remaining hopeful in um, these tumultuous times that we have? I mean we've got we've got a virus that is still you know far from uh, being under control and who knows when you know is it going to be six months? Is it going to be another year or two years? You've got uh, the political turmoil that, that is unprecedented um, uh, Talk a little bit about um, how you try to energize people to tap into being hopeful.
1: Yeah, uh, and I like that you use the word hopeful because hope is one of the core emotions that we have. And it's an important emotion that we have. Um, and, and there are a couple of things. One, I like to, to try to give perspective to my clients. Um, the, the political landscape, the pandemic landscape, when you take a look at the arc of history, we've dealt with this before. And we've dealt with very similar things. And so this too shall pass, we can talk about. It's very difficult in the moment, but this too shall pass. Uh, So a little bit of perspective is good, but recognizing that most things are out of control. They're out of control for everybody is also a little bit of perspective. So everybody else is uh, is feeling the exact same thing as you. So you're not alone which is important. Um, And we have to tap into when we talk about, we hear often that everyone says we have to focus on what we can control. Um, But what that means has to be defined by you. What can you control? And part of it is controlling your focus and where you're putting your attention and your focus. Are you spending it on social media and on the news and everything else? Or are you focused on recovery, a walk in the woods, a walk with your dog, uh, doing a puzzle, doing something that's beneficial for you? So we think of um, just mental wellness, the fact that we're gonna be indoors for a, a long period of time. And um, we, we need those social activities. We need to connect with other people who are feeling the same types of things will make us hopeful, but we have to remain you know, positive conversation and, and discuss that. But there's also a big um, self aspect of loving yourself and and i think those words are so soft but they're really important um and the first thing that we need to do is is get that dialogue going is you know in the words of rousseau my favorite quote is jean-jacques rousseau how can anyone be satisfied in life if they're not satisfied with the one person they can never be separated from and so we're looking at so many different macro things that are hitting us we're being advertised everywhere i just bought a new computer my computer is advertising to me um, it's built into the computer Um, We get no privacy. It's very, uh, it's overwhelming. And so how do we focus on what you need in your moment? And that's a question to ask. What do I need in this moment to change my perspective, to change my need? Um, It's not to put your head in the sand, but when we deal with burnout, when we deal with overwhelming, we need to schedule in that recovery time of saying, this is time just for me. And it's difficult. Also easier said than done. If you have kids, if you have a spouse, if you have, I mean, there are so many Uh, So many people who want your attention, including the little device in your pocket. Um, We have to make sure we carve out some attention for ourselves. And that is the the fundamental way to remain hopeful, because then you recognize what you're capable of and you can start taking steps on getting things done that are beneficial for you.
0: I really like that, uh, not for many reasons, not the least of which is, is, especially in the electronic age and in the social media age, there is a very less than conscious uh, message that's being given to you is that um, uh, this thing that's vibrating in your hand on this phone is more important than what you're actually thinking about at the moment. And you have to pay attention to it. And there's an alert and a beep and a consequence and five people are liking it. And, oh my God, I got to Um, but it, and it's designed this way. I mean, this, this is not an accident. It's designed to try to make you feel that way. And, um, boy, nothing could be more destructive to human development than that concept that you're not as important as this thing. And the, the, the pull is, it's difficult. The pull is very, very difficult
1: to. It's difficult. And it's, um, as we think about, um, evolving, I mean, you asked the question of what to happen in a pandemic. Um, in terms of work and finding work, it's your work beyond the pandemic is going to change and it's going to change thanks to that little device. And when we take a step back to not just what you do for a living, it's why you do it will allow you to evolve your business, whatever it is from music to finance, to anything in spite of technology and how do you use technology as a commodity? as a, uh, as a helpful, helper to you rather than having it take control. Um, I've had to go extreme where I do not let my phone leave my office because it's just I'm sitting in front of my daughter and I'm not paying attention. Um, and life is better, right? And I had yeah. times to come down and check and make sure I'm not missing anything. but nothing is really that important. We think it is. We think um, it is. And when we're waiting for external validation for things like social media, you're trying to control other people. You don't need that validation you're if, if you're waiting for someone to tell you that you're doing a good job you're gonna be waiting a long time because they've got other things they're worrying about so they're not going to be focused on you
0: right i remember that there's a there's a quote from somebody that said uh i'll probably i i may not get this right but that uh, you know in your in your 20s you're worried about what everybody thinks about you in your 40s you're not that concerned about what they think about you. And when you get to your 60s, you realize nobody's been thinking about you ever. So that's right.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. you were wrong it's, all the time. It's so cathartic to know that nobody's thinking about you. Yeah. It's amazing. It's uh, it sounds like lonely, but it's actually really nice that nobody's yeah. thinking about you, which goes back to why you need to articulate your desire of what it is that you want. And you need to communicate that vision to other people so that they are thinking about you and they are able to help you. Because, when, I mean, think about you. Are you thinking about pick five random friends? Are you thinking about them all the time and what they need? The answer is no, because you're thinking about all the things that you need to do. Um, and so creating those relationships so that they can help you, we have to lay that foundation so that they can give you a hand. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, what, you said you started as a radio DJ. Is that right? Is that where you started? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Talk a little bit about that. What, uh, what, what did you do and how did you get started in that? And what was the attraction?
1: Um, so, it, I mean, it started back in high school. I used to do competitive public speaking. And that was like, I was a stud muffin, competitive public speaker. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and I loved it. It was, um, I didn't have the guts to try out for the baseball team. So um, I had to do an activity and I learned how to speak in public, which was one of the best things I ever did. And I, um, I was really successful with it. And so when I went to college, I went to the college radio station and I started a radio show and uh, started a couple radio shows. And one of them got kicked off the air. Um, We were a little too, uh, a little too over the edge for the the college campus. And so in a defiant move, we sent out a radio show proposal to every station in Washington, D.C. And the top talk radio station picked us up and put us on. And we ended up getting syndicated in like 10 or 12 states or something like that. Um, and it was awesome. It was easily my most favorite job I've ever done. It was tons of fun. Fascinating. Fascinating. <laughs> uh,
0: I just I I remember in my college days the college radio DJs were it was uh, a classic like FM radio where they talked in slow, it sounded like they were high all the time you know they talked in very slow low voices and. I, I, they were all the same. Uh, so I, w- I would have liked to have heard y- your radio broadcast because I have a feeling it wasn't that.
1: It, it certainly wasn't. And what's funny is I just found a box of old cassette tapes that I might digitize, but I'm afraid of listening to whatever <laughs> I that was like 20 something years ago and it's gonna be uh, a challenge. Uh, well, I'm,
0: I'm, I think we may have covered you know, a, a lot of ground here. Um, is, is there anything else that, um, that you'd like to share with our listeners? I I know you, um, professionally you work as, um, uh, an executive business coach. Is that, is that true? Um, you want to, uh, talk a little bit about the specifics of, of what that is and how that works and, and what it's all about.
1: Yeah. So, uh, business coaching, um, I have a lot to say about coaching, um, Well, when we're looking to to manage change or deal with anything or advance in our career or uh, evolve our business, put together a strategic plan, sometimes we need uh, an objective third party um, who has no skin in the game uh, to challenge you on what it is that that you're doing. And so my clients bring me in from a corporate perspective um, to either – redesign their organization. Or do we have the right people doing the right thing? Can we create roles, responsibilities, put a little more structure around things? To, um, I don't know where my business is going to be in three years, five years. How do you give me, can, can we work on a, a strategic plan to do that? Uh, all the way down to an individual or a team saying, uh, I want to be in the C-suite in five years. I'm obviously not doing something right. Can you help me kind of change the behaviors? Um, this team isn't executing. We need a better sales team. Whatever it is, uh, we'll get you to, to wherever it is that you want to do. Coaching is, uh, there are a few things that you need for coaching to be uh, impactful. And this is kind of what separates us is um, we don't take clients unless we have defined what success metrics are going to be done and how to measure them. And uh, we don't take clients um, until we have picked an end date. So we, we don't really believe in this ongoing forever coaching engagement um, we're looking to get you to change behavior, get your work done. And I tell all my clients in the nicest way possible, I hope I never speak to you again. Um, so that we can get you to where it is that you want to be for coaching to work. Uh, a person has to be committed to coaching and everyone has to be held accountable coach included, which is why we have success metrics and, and we have set goals that we're going to accomplish to get you to wherever it is they want to go.
0: And how does, how does it work, Jim? Is it um, uh, daily, weekly, monthly, bi-weekly? Um, and uh, talk a little bit about the, the specifics about how that works.
1: Yeah. So it, um, it, it depends. It always depends. Um, but we have, uh, depending on what the client needs, I mean, the industry standard typically is a six-month coaching engagement. You meet every other week. We define what the goals are. You know, what are we going to accomplish in these six months? What is the focus for these six months and how do we define success? So that I can explain to you at the end of these six months, I have to be able to say, yes, we hit our our benchmark. And then every week, two weeks, whatever it is that we set up, um, we will take a look at the big goals and we will create one little goal for our meeting that day for about an hour and a half. We will tackle something, whether it's um, helping you define your communication style to articulating the way you like to work, to doing a calendar review on what you can delegate um, whatever it is that we need to work on for you and we progress you along those 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 six months there are three phases of a coaching engagement Beginning is context which is really what's up give me all the information so we can learn about each other phase two is content which is you know what really matters let's cut back the uh, peel back the onion let's get to the core of what we're trying to do and then part three is conduct which is let's change behavior. Let's get you to change whatever behavior it is that's either holding you back or um, that will elevate you to whatever it is that you, you want to do.
0: It, it sounds like a, a lot of fun. It sounds like it's very intellectually challenging and uh, it, emotionally, you got to really get to the core of what's really motivating people and help them uh, peel back some of the things we talked about earlier in this interview is getting really to the core of, you know, what, what things are you doing that you really want to do and what things have you fooled yourself into thinking that you really want to do and peel those back and let's get to the core. And if you can do that, you got a much better shot of getting to where you want to get to if you're peeling those things back.
1: If coaching is working properly, you are going to be doing a lot of work and it's exhausting because it's emotional. Yeah. Um, we've hold, we hold on to these ideas. You know, we've been operating the same way for 20, 30, 40 years Uh, In corporate, I I work with people with a 40-year career trying to make changes to the way they've always done things. Uh, And we align our value and our value set to who we are, um, and, and we almost feel like it's an attack. But if it's also done properly, it's a ton of fun to make these types of changes and grow. And I love it when I have a client tell me, I had one recently tell me, I've learned to love learning. And they they've changed that question thinking and changed their their habits to just say what am I learning in this in this particular meeting? How am I thinking about what I'm learning? You know, every meeting you sit in, are you looking around to see what people see? Are you presenting yourself as the person you want to be? Um, and it is it's emotionally draining. I feel like I've only had maybe three or four clients who haven't cried. Um, yeah. And it's a corporate thing. Like I don't do life coaching. It's like corporate yeah. where we're talking about corporate growth and life always comes in. I mean they're they're inextricable they're together so people always grown men just sit in front and crying about something um and that's look it's progress and it's great that they're that they're able to do it
0: yeah it's a good sign when that happens it's a good sign yeah yeah Yeah. very good yeah well fascinating well that's that's kind of i'm out of questions here uh I'm, i'm sure you and i could you know talk for about five more hours here but um uh, is, is there anything else uh, you'd, you'd like to say to our listeners
1: before we, uh, before we sign off here? No, but uh, thank you for doing it. Uh, Bellwether Hub is the uh, the podcast. The book is out in January, January 18th, I think 19th called adapting in motion. Um, but thank you. This is uh this is awesome. Uh, it's nice. nice to be on the side of the microphone.
0: Yeah, it's well, it's, it's been my pleasure to have you, Jim. And, and uh, I, I, uh, I I always enjoy speaking to people where I I learn a whole bunch of stuff and I always, I always learn from you. So it's, uh, it's really great. If, uh, when your book is ready, if you can send me a uh, a, a PDF of the, uh, of the cover of the book, we'll put that up uh, at the end of this thing so uh, people can know about it if they want to learn more about you and what you have to say. And uh, for uh, all of our listeners, I just want to thank you for tuning in again to uh, this episode of let's talk with Jim Frawley. And uh, we look forward to seeing you next time. And Jim, thanks so much for taking the time today. Uh, We really enjoyed talking to you and uh, hopefully we'll be able to do this again.
1: I look forward to it. Thank you, Tom.
0: This is great. All right, thank you, Jim. We'll be in touch. Take care, bye-bye. Well, that's it for today's broadcast with executive coach Jim Frawley. Thanks so much for joining us today. I hope you'll come back for more. We've got some really great guests lined up and we'll be sure to let you know when the episodes are available. Thanks again for watching.